Julie and I made a quick trip down to Mississippi on Thursday and came back uh, yesterday. As we were coming down uh, 55, and if you have ever been down into Memphis, you uh, there's two bridges. There's the, the newer bridge, which is by the pyramid, which is the 240 bridge, and then there's the 55 bridge. If you go over the 55 bridge and you kind of hang a right, you head down south. I remembered a story that when we were living in the Memphis area, there was a man from Marion, Arkansas, who was fishing under the I-55 bridge in the Mississippi River, and he caught a 116-pound, 12-ounce blue catfish. Amazing. I mean, you know, it, this, was, this was front page news, and of course, I, you know, I enjoy fishing, and so this, this was one of those things that caught my attention. 116 pounds, 12 ounces. But there were three things that were really amazing about this story. First off, he caught the fish on spam. I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay, so what is spam, all right? So it's a lot of salt, a little sugar, some pork, and some ham, and it's all processed up. All right, so he caught it on spam. I thought that was interesting. The second thing was he caught this 116-pound fish on 20-pound test line. Okay, so if you know anything about fishing, this uh, fishing line was weighted at, it could hold 20 pounds. But he caught a 116-pound fish on a 20-pound test line. And the third thing that I thought was amazing is that he had to fight with this fish for over an hour before he got it in the boat. So I, I, I picture this guy, you know, late at night, and he just keeps pulling and struggling, and then that fish begins to move, and he's got to give it a little slack or he's going to bust his line. And for over an hour, with wisdom and discernment and lots of, of willpower and some bustle, he finally gets that thing reeled up and into the boat. Now, whether you fish or not, in the typical way of fishing, we all understand that in the command of the Lord, we're called to be fishers of men. And sometimes as we seek to make a difference in people's lives, it means that we struggle, that we strive, that we have to work hard, that we have to use discernment. And that's exactly what Paul shows us as we're moving through the book of Colossians together. As he is living all for Jesus, he's showing that in order to encourage believers and help believers grow in the faith, that it is a struggle. He is struggling to encourage believers, to connect believers, and to anchor believers. And that's exactly what we find in this passage. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. We're going to pick up in verse number 28, overlap those last couple of verses of chapter 1, and then go into chapter 2. Colossians 1, 28. It says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, 
being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And with that, let's pray. Lord, I I pray that you would take our time together and that this would be time that is well spent and that you would speak and move and that our hearts would be moved. In the name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know that the chapter uh, numbers and the verse numbers were added at a later time in the Bible. And so sometimes there are thoughts that, that just seem to continue from one chapter to the next without really a sense of division there. In Colossians 1.29, Paul is talking about how he is laboring and how he is striving. That word there is the, the picture of the word agony. We get our word, our English word agonize from that. He says, I am laboring. I am striving. And then he opens chapter two, verse number one. And he says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. That word conflict is from the same word agony. So Paul is saying, look, I want you to know that as I'm seeking to encourage this church at Colossae that I, that has never seen me before. Paul had never been to the church at Colossae. Remember, Epaphras had probably heard Paul preaching in Ephesus and had moved miles further to the east and planted three different churches, one in the area of Colossae and one in the area of Laodicea and Hierapolis. And as he looks at that, Paul looks back and says, I've not been to to your church, but I want you to know that I am striving, I am agonizing, I am struggling for you. I am putting all that I have into the game. It is all for Jesus for me, and I am laboring and striving so that you can be encouraged, so that you can feel connected, and so that you can have this anchor of assurance. That's exactly what he tells us. And notice what that that word he jumps out in, in verse number two. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul was a man who sought to encourage others. Now you would think of Paul's life, he would be someone who who we would think as a missionary and as one who has struggled. And and as I shared last week, you know, five times with 39 lashes and three times beaten with rods and, and, and shipwrecked and stoned. You would think that everybody would be reaching out to encourage Paul. But instead, he's saying, I'm seeking to encourage you. So as we look at this passage and how Paul is going to encourage this church, I want us to notice three real challenges that are laid out for us. That as we think about this passage and this thought in verse number two, that their hearts may be encouraged, I pray that we'll be encouragers, that we will strive first off, that we will strive as believers so that we can have that opportunity to encourage Others. Notice what he says in that verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Strive so hearts may be encouraged in Christ. That's the first thought. Strive. Strive so hearts may be encouraged. This is exactly what Paul did. Now, if there's ever a day where people feel discouraged, 
It's now. I mean, there is some glimmers of hope as things are starting to open up and as COVID numbers begin to go down. But for many people, it has been 12 months of of separation and a sense of isolation. There there has been a long time where there's been this lack of, of connection that they have felt, sometimes with the church and within the church family, and sometimes even when you don't feel well, you physically just have this struggle even seemingly to connect with God at points. And so Paul is, is saying, look, I want you to strive so that hearts will be encouraged. I mean, think about the last year. We look at the, the COVID numbers and how, how this started and masks or no masks. And we look at the political election that went on and, and all the mud that was slinged through all of that and all of the, the, the challenges and all of the, the separation and lack of connection. And Paul stands up and says, you know, people in every day have faced difficulty. I don't know about you. Discouragement can set in. Discouragement can just set into our life. So how do we help those who are discouraged? First off, we can strive to share the gospel with people, to share the good news of Jesus. That's exactly what Epaphras did, and that's why this church was going. Epaphras, if if you notice in those opening verses, verses 1 through 8, he gives the, the credit and says, man, Epaphras was the one who went out laboring for you. He was the one who shared the gospel. And if there's anything that can bring help and hope in a world that looks uh, like it is, is very disconnected, very discouraging, very divided, it's knowing that my heart is right with God that my soul is, is held on to for eternity, that I am saved and I am safe no matter what happens to me. The best truly is yet to come. I don't have to fear. There's no fear in, in life and there's no fear in death because nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. So it's striving to share the gospel. That's what Paul has done throughout his life and ministry. Then there's the striving in prayer. If you notice in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, Paul begins to pray for this church. Now, this is a church where, where he's got a message from Epaphras, and Epaphras has come to see him, but he didn't know these people. But he begins to pour out his heart, and, and he begins to pray that they would know God's will, and that they would do God's will, and that they would do God's will with a sense of joy and thanksgiving. It's praying. And Paul didn't only pray for them, but he let them know he was praying for them. Sometimes the most encouraging words that you can share with someone else is, I'm praying for you. I want you to know I've been on my knees for you this week. I've written your name in my prayer journal and I'm praying for you. I I want you to know that the Lord laid you on my heart this week. And just out of the blue, and I don't know what was going on in your life on, you know, Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, but I don't know, I just felt this, this need to pray for you. When you tell someone that and encourage them with that, it, it reminds them that, that, hey, it's not just a, a hand being lifted this way. It's, it's a radar beam that's moved up and then moved from God down upon their life. It's releasing and asking God to move and to bless and to show his power and his strength and his guidance and his encouragement over them. 
That's the picture. I don't know. Do you know someone right now who's facing discouragement? Maybe going through a hard time physically? Not certain what's going to happen? You know someone who's struggling financially? You know someone who feels isolated and disconnected? What if we just took a moment right now? I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and pray. Would you just pray for someone? Maybe the Lord's going to lay someone right on your heart right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, you know the dozens of names that are being lifted before you right now, and you know how to move and minister. So God, do it in in your name. And for the one I'm lifting up this morning, God, I pray that eyes would be opened to the truth of who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, take a moment. Stop. When the Lord lays someone on your heart, stop and pray. Stop and take a moment. Paul's striving for them in prayer, striving to share the gospel, but then he was striving to encourage. That's what verse number two says, that he's looking to encourage them, to build up courage in their life. And through Paul's example and through Paul's exhortation, he is seeking to build them up and encourage them and lift them to this place where they can know that God is at work in their life and that they have a courage beyond what they humanly possess because the power of God's spirit who did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, is working in them. God, work. God, move. God, help us to pray for people. God, help us to encourage people. God, help us to share the gospel with people. You know, as we think about this area of encouragement, someone may feel encouraged one moment and then they lose it the next. I don't know about you, but uh, I uh, didn't catch much basketball. But did you see that Oral Roberts University knocked off Ohio State? A number 15 seed knocked off uh, a number two seed in their bracket. And, uh, you know, people who were were going into a game probably thinking, man, there's no chance. This has only happened nine times in history that a number 15 would knock off a number two of all of the basketball tournaments and all the brackets. This has only happened uh, nine other times. And, And to think a school like Oral Roberts is going to knock off Ohio State. I was watching an interview with this. And one guy said, Oral Roberts, I don't even know who, who that is or where that school is. Oral Roberts, I, his name sounds like Orville Redenbacher to me. And I thought, now that is classic. All right. Uh, not a, not a clue. But you know, after that, Ohio State, at least one of their players began to get death threats from Ohio State fans. And I think this is a guy that uh, scored in the, in the mid-20 points and, and had rebounds and played hard. And in just a, a matter of this excitement of going into a game, and two hours later, you're getting threats on your life because your team just lost. That's the world in which we live. That's the social media in which 
we see going on all around us today. And so Paul says, look, you strive to be an encourager. Pull for the Orville Redenbachers in life, okay? I mean, pull, pull for the underdogs. But recognize there are times when all of us will face defeat. Even when we thought this was going to be easy and this was going to be a breeze, there will come times when we get our legs knocked out from under us. The rug gets pulled. There will be times in our life when we think we're walking into a patch that's going to be smooth sailing and we can look at the next step and the next step and we realize we fell on this one. People need to be encouraged. And don't wait for someone to say, oh, well, you know, I'm really discouraged here. And I'm just going to wait for people to encourage me. What if Paul would have said that? You realize about half of his epistles he wrote when he was in prison. What if he just said, well, I'm just going to wait and let the church write to me. I'm just going to sit back. Can I tell you, one of the most encouraging things may be in your life that you encourage someone and it impacts them. And it makes you feel encouraged because you were able to encourage. But you've got to put forth some energy. So that person you prayed for, would you tell them? Would you send them an email? Would you write them a note this week and say, look, I prayed for you this week? Would you let them know and encourage them in the faith to come alongside and say, I want you to have courage in the Lord and strength in Jesus, and you're going to make it. Because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord's holding your right hand. He's going to guide you with with his awesome and wise counsel. And as you face that valley of the shadow of death, you don't have nothing to fear. For the Lord our shepherd is with us. And his rod and his staff can bring us comfort during those hard times. Some of you today need to remember the Lord is our shepherd and be encouraged in that. Those words, the Lord is my shepherd. Strive so hearts will be encouraged in Christ. The second thing Paul prays is that, 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 that we would be people and that, that as he writes these folks, strive so hearts or so lives will be connected in the church body. Strive so lives will be connected in that church body that we all share in. Notice what he says, and, and I love this picture that he gives in, in verse number two, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Strive so that they, their hearts can be knit together in love. Once you come to know Jesus, you become part of a body, a family. And you're to, to plant yourself within a local church family. The New Testament knows of no believers who, who weren't attached in some way from what we see in the, in the New Testament to a church where they were connected and they could be encouraged. As, as we think about this picture of being knit together in love, we see that there's this picture of unity in the body. Unity. They are knit 
together. So that the Lord takes lots of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and with different kinds of experiences and through different modes and means of communication and he takes them and brings them to himself and then with his uh, marvelous grace and power, he is able to knit us together. Some of you grew up in church and you, you come to know the Lord Jesus as you were a child and you've walked with the Lord all of your life. Some of you were adults and you came into the faith a, a little bit later and, and, and the Lord knits all of us together. Some of you grew up very wealthy. Some of you grew up very poor and the Lord knits all of us together. Some may have a lot of education. Some may not have as much education, but the Lord knits us together. There is unity in the body because we have the same Savior and we have the same Father. So that this is not a, a, a picture or a matter of, of socioeconomics, of, of race, of nation, of descent, of lineage. It is all a picture of the Lord Jesus knitting us together into one unit called the church from all different kinds of materials and backgrounds. That's the picture. And it's a beautiful picture. And the Lord is able to make a beautiful tapestry from all kinds of different people coming from all kinds of different places and backgrounds. That's what the Lord does. That's his work. There's unity in the body. But secondly, as we think of unity in the body, there must be harmony with the body. That, that picture that, that we now as believers are called to, to be knit together in love. Today, most of us, as we sang, sang the melody. We sang the, the main uh, portion, the melody of the songs that we sang. For those who, who may uh, know how to harmonize, you, you take and you complement within that same chord structure of uh, the melody line, and, and you can sing harmony. Uh, but you know, melody always takes the lead. When harmony begins to take the lead, you know, that, that, that harmonizing part, then, then something's missing in that. The melody takes the lead, and the harmony comes in to complement. Most of us in our life, we're going to come alongside a church, and we're going to live in harmony because we're going to come alongside to complement. We want to complement each other. And in order to sing harmony, can I tell you, sometimes it takes humility. I don't get the lead line. I harmonize. I come in and compliment and support. I'm reminded of the picture of humility from John chapter 13. As Jesus would take a towel in a basin in the upper room with his disciples and wash their feet and say, greater love has no, no man than to lay down his life for a friend. What a picture of humility. I mean, he was the leader. He was God in the flesh. And yet, through humility, he encourages and builds up and sets an example for his disciples to go and to serve. Many of you serve behind the scenes you're down at the cube working in Connect, or you're 
doing your turn in the nursery or preschool or you're teaching a class and maybe your name was listed or maybe you're a support person in the class and you're doing outreach and helping with events and all of those kinds of things. Can I tell you, it's a beautiful thing. And God wants you to, to, to do and fulfill your role with great grace and great passion with harmony. There's unity and there's harmony. But notice, they are knit together in love. And sometimes every once in a while, I just got to pull my preacher out, okay? So I use the word charity instead of saying love. But there's this charity for the Bible, uh, for, for the body. The, the, the word charity is the picture of, of love. So there's unity and there's harmony and there's charity. There's this sense being knit together in love. How are we knit together? We are knit together through the love of Jesus who gave his life for the church so that we could become part of a church, so that we could be uh, saved and that we could know the Lord. But we stay together knit in unity and harmony because of his love flowing through our life. That first fruit of the Spirit is love. So notice the picture here. Slide back with me to verse number 28 just for a minute. Because I want you to see that word, every man. And, and, and it's a generic word, every person. Him we preach, warning every man, every man, woman, child. And teaching every man, woman, child. And all wisdom that we may present every man, woman, boy, child. Uh, perfect in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look... Every man, every person from every different background, they come together and we want to present them to, before the Lord perfectly, but we want to present the church corporately as this, this uh, beautiful bride without stain or blemish. That's the picture that the Lord shows us in Ephesians chapter 5. And primarily as he's talking about this picture of the church, that we stand together in unity and harmony and love for each other. So what does love look like at church? What does love look like at church? Might look like a meal that's brought to someone who's just had a surgery. It might look like a prayer gram. It might look like a, a gift. Someone opened up their wallet. It might look like someone standing to teach a class in just a few minutes. Someone standing to lead in music. But it might look like a chair at five or six in the morning. And it's chilly and you wrap an afghan around you. And you lift someone up before Jesus and say, Lord, would you bless them today? God, would you work in their heart and give them wisdom today? Love. You can do a lot of things and serve in a lot of ways and do that without love. But if you do love, you will serve. You will work. You will seek to make a difference in people's lives. Now, this picture of being connected May I just reiterate again what I shared a couple of weeks ago. Over the next few weeks, as people begin to 
to, to come back. And as they have had both rounds of their shots and those kinds of things, it is important for those that are watching online, it is important that you're here. There is a connection in the body that is essential, that doesn't happen over the internet, that it doesn't happen on your TV screen. There's this face-to-face interaction that the Lord wants each one of us to experience in our life that has to happen face-to-face. And over the next few weeks, as we feel more comfortable about some handshakes and hugs and all of those kinds of things, can I just tell you, work hard to reconnect with folks who've been out for a while. And I, I, I don't say this in, 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 in any kind of derogatory manner. I just say as people are coming back, they're, they're feeling like, I've, I've watched it on TV, but I've not been with everybody. So let's work hard together and reconnect. And let's have this regathering time over the next few weeks and months. And let's make a difference for the world, before the world that they can know that we're Christ's disciples because of the love, the unity, the harmony, the love that we show for one another. Strive that we'll be connected. Thirdly, we think about this. Paul is striving so that their faith will be anchored. Notice, notice what he says. Strive so faith will be anchored in understanding. Notice verse number two at the end. He says, and it... Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. That, that mystery in, in some of the newer translations, that mystery is Jesus Christ. So strive so that faith will be anchored in assurance. He uses that word assurance. Since I was opening with a fishing illustration, I just figured we would use the word anchor. Because when you drop anchor at a place when you fish, you're dropping anchor so that you don't get blown around by the current. That you don't get moved from this place of stability. So Paul, if you notice how he is, he's sculpting and looking at this prayer, he's praying that they would be encouraged in the Lord, that they would be connected with each other, and that they would have full assurance of the faith, that they would be encouraged in Christ, they would be connected with each other, and that they would be anchored down. They would have full understanding of the person of Christ. That they would have this picture of who Jesus is. Remember Colossians 1, 15 through 20, Paul shows us who Jesus is. He is the great creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. Down in verse number 20 and 21, reminds us that he is the reconciler. He is the savior. Verse 14 reminds us that in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the redeemer and the forgiver. It is through Jesus. So he says, look, I'm praying for this church. Remember what's going on. Roman philosophy is saying, hey, man, take Jesus and some of this, this Roman pantheism over here. And the Jewish legalists are saying, no, you need to take Jesus and then you need to add the law to it. And Paul is saying, understand, anchor yourself in the truth that Jesus is who you need and Jesus is all you need. That's what he's saying. And that's the assurance that we have. 
the assurance that says, look, I can stand today and I can walk through tomorrow because I know that the Lord Jesus has already conquered death. He's already provided forgiveness of sin. So I have no concerns. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the picture of having our faith anchored in such a way that we are not blown by the current, that we are not moved by the winds and rains of culture. Instead, we stand anchored on Christ, the solid rock we stand. And when the winds of society blow, and can I tell you, they are blowing. And it's not just the winds of our culture now. What we're seeing right now is the tornadoes of culture are coming after believers. One of the ways they're doing that is through things like the Equality Act. And the Equality Act is seeking to to use this picture of equality to really squelch the voice of Christians in the church and in the marketplace. Now, they may make provisions within the church itself, but that doesn't help those Christians that are out there in the world seeking and striving to to carry on with their university, with the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, with our other Christian entities, and in this world in which they want to squelch and silence our voice. But no, listen, know who you're anchored to. And know him well. And that's what Paul is sharing to this church. He's saying you need to stay anchored, fully assured in the riches of Christ. Now, the riches of Christ. What, what is he talking about? Well, in verse 2, he called them saints. And he said that they were in Christ. Down in verse number five, he talks about the hope uh, of heaven that is before us. Then he talks in that prayer in verses nine through 14 about how we have been transferred or conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's talking about this is the riches that you share in. You now are in Christ. You're a saint. You are filled with the fullness of, of Jesus dwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And you, as I shared over the last couple of weeks, if you know Jesus, you're rich. And if you know Jesus, you need to remain anchored. The waves of culture are fierce. But I want to tell you, the anchor will hold. Our assurance in Christ and in Christ alone has not and will never waver. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. So as believers, you have a challenge this week. Strive so that people can be encouraged. Who do you need to encourage this week? Don't sit back and wait for someone to do it to you. Go encourage somebody. Bless them. Do something out of the ordinary. Come alongside a brother or a sister. Help them get connected, reconnected. Reach out to someone who's been home for a while. Share that you love them. Tell them you're praying for them. And then, 
Get in God's word and encourage others in God's word so that our faith will be anchored because we know Jesus will never fail. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together and I ask that uh, you would take these times of reflection and invitation now and that you would move in the power and glory of your great and wonderful name. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. You are great and awesome and wonderful, loving and kind. You're our greatest encourager. So Lord, as we humble ourselves as your servants, I pray that on every man and woman and student that's here today, that you would lay someone on their heart to encourage. That you would impress upon their heart someone who needs to be connected. And God, that you would give us the resolve to stay assured and anchored in our faith. To the glory and praise of your name. Amen.